everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the shindig. Hi, my little jelly beans, my little kings, my little queens, my little in-betweens. We're back, and I got another phenomenal guest. Good friend of mine, good colleague of mine, Dan Emmerich. Dan, what's up? What's happening? Oh, it's just a beautiful Saturday. It morning. is. Yeah. I live in Florida. You're in sunny asterisk Florida. Yeah. <laughs> it is not today, but that's okay. We're going to survive for all you people in your, what, negative 37 degree winters. Up in right? The- yes. Ugh. Not us. But today we're going to talk about the most entertaining and enlightening and fun of subjects, the language of delegitimization. <laughs> which we've all been asking about. I know we've got tons of feedback saying, please teach us more about this. Yeah, I know. It's like, you know, such a buzzword right now. Right. It really is. Actually, this is very topical. So, uh, Dan, what in the world does that even mean? Yeah. So I promise you that I'm going to break this down in a way that um, is, you know, able to be understood. And I promise that I'm not going to come off and, and talk over everyone's head with your help, Ben. I'm counting on you. <laughs> So um, what this is about, and, and I want to speak to, if, if you are in a position where you're dealing with people in your life who kind of navigate through life, either spreading misinformation or practicing saving others through disinformation, um, this is meant to help, uh, help you with that. Um, and specifically by listening for cues and language that are used by some of these people to delegitimize basic foundational social constructs in society, like weather, um, you know, and, and, and I promise I'm going to do my best to not make this political, um, but it is having an impact on, you know, policy. It's also understanding some of the science about how these alternate realities flourish in society because so much of this misinformation is sprouted into directions where it feels like we're living in a different reality. In many cases, some of these people are living in a different reality and just kind of where this is heading and how to do your part in keeping it from becoming something a lot darker because we did have January 6th which was pretty frightening I don't know it was to me and I'm sure it was to a lot of other people and if you do have someone in your life who is obsessed or addicted to the internet or politics or QAnon if you've ever heard of that um, or engaged in the undoing of society, regardless of intentions, whether it's good intentions or, you know, just kind of seeing the world burn. Like, what can you do to help some of these people? And what can you do? What's your place in fixing society in general? Yes. Uh, as we mentioned, topical. I have no idea when people are listening to this. Uh, at this moment in time, um, one of the big news headlines is um, Spotify has a lot of music artists leaving it um, due to... Uh, not agreeing with Spotify's decision to support Joe Rogan's podcast for something of this topic. So just to give you a frame of reference, what we're, what time we're living in and why this might be relevant. Uh, I need you to back up a little bit because you use the word delegitimization. Delegitimization. Delegit- what, is, yeah. what in the world does that mean? Yep. So I'll, I'll flip that uh, for, to get it started. So the language of le- legitimization, which is the opposite is persuasive discourse, discussion, talking to rally people around a thing and we saw this um, last decade, um, and even the decade before, with the war on terror. Um, and this was something that, you know, was based on fear or victimization, you know. But legitimization can also be based on love and acceptance, and we've seen examples of that as well. Delegitimization is the same type of persuasive argument, but it seeks to erode something within society. And 
I don't, I'm, I'm putting the, the Z in Zenial or X in Zenial rather in, at this point, aging myself. But like the concept of safety in the 80s was eroded. Um, like the, the rise of the serial killer and how, you know, media really put that to the front, kind of eroded that safety, that 1950s feeling of the white picket fence where, you know, someone was going to break into your house. And ultimately that, that changed policy because it led to the revival of capital punishment and brought about mandatory minimum drug sentencing. So that was kind of a big deal. You sound quite smart. What's your background? <laughs> how do you, uh, how do you, where are you speaking from when you're talking about subjects like this? Yeah. So for me, this is, you know, it's, it's two fronts really. Um, it's personal one, you know, I had some close family members who subscribed to QAnon. Um, and, for those of you who don't know, um, I, I would encourage you to look this up on your own because there are some much smarter people who have described it in terms that I can do, that will do it much better than I can. Um, and, and it's kind of a spectrum of beliefs, but it's basically conspiracy thinking that erodes faith in like the government and the world um, along some what would be considered ridiculous lines, right? But there is a spectrum. So um, I've had some family members who are, you know, straight QAnon and some that have been like Q adjacent, like they believe in parts of it, but not all of it. Um, so maybe not the baby eating pedophile Satanist part of it, but um, some other things related to, you know, anti-government or, you know, even, even the stealing of the, the election. So, um, and I'll get into that later on some where you can, you can go to kind of, you know, either catch up on it, learn more about it or um, get help if you've got, experience like mine you know and also i mean going back to like the middle of last decade like 2015 my mom i know and i'm sure a lot of people can can sympathize with this um my mom was sharing you know fake information on facebook i saw that a lot you know um she would share something that was you know blatantly false and i would call her out on it and her response was you know i i'm just sharing it because someone else told me to share it and that was an entry point for some people to get you know into something more malignant down the road and then it was, uh, it really became personal for me in December when my ex's mom was sending me messages through Facebook Messenger directly from Parler leading Ooh. up to calls to action for January 6th. Okay. So this was very specific. So it went from something that was generally vague and kind of annoying, <laughs> embarrassing to something that was very specific and dangerous. I get why this is uh, personal to you and uh, a subject that you might be interested in. Yep. And then the other part of it, academically, um, I've got a... I hold a terminal degree in linguistic anthropology, and that is where this kind of the study of human and human civilizations and language inter intersect. Um, and I did this back during, you know, my research was back during the, the Great Recession, and I was looking at language associated with the Great Recession. And I, this was back when, you know, Web, web 2.0 was just a thing. It was early, and, and I was specifically using Twitter and some basic web scrubbing script like i learned enough python to be dangerous um for my research and uh i was scrubbing language with the great recession in mind and i'd use something called discourse analysis to parse language and turn it into data and i discovered that socially constructed language and other social norms were taking on new meanings so like definition to definition were being shedded so old meanings were taking on new meanings and like for an example the economy um, during the Great Recession, people were, and, and actually are today with inflation, saying, okay, the economy is, is terrible, which it was. People were losing jobs 
you know, left and right. And it was a horrible time. And having to sit back and watch that was really uh, gutting. Um, so, uh, but I, I did notice that the conflict between economy, economy and jobs, those two words tended to go in different directions. They used to be looped in, but for the first time in my life, I saw them diverge, but people were still calling it the economy. So um, it was the beginning of what I was seeing as kind of the delegitimization of definitions. So for those of us that have a degree in skipping a lot of class, what is Web 2.0? I've never heard that phrase before. Okay. Um, so for anyone that's in marketing, you probably have heard of Web 2.0. Um, and I might also be aging myself with that as well. But Web 1.0 was like the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was the version of the web where there were no gatekeepers. Like it was an open thing. You didn't have one access point. So what, you know, Google was around as your search engine, but so is like Netscape Navigator. Um, There's a man named Jeeves, I believe. <laughs> yeah, ask Jeeves. That, I forgot. I totally forgot about that one. But there was no like central access point. Um, Web 2.0 is we're kind of at the end of that now, but we're we're current with that, um, and that that's where your, your your arbiters are, you know, your, your guardians. So you got Google, Amazon, Facebook, social media. These are all the gatekeepers, and they kind of help organize the entry to what we consider the web. Um, and it's also where they gave us the the ability to share information to others, and that that's been a critical component to creating these alternate socially constructed realities and, and that delegitimization de de of um, words that we've seen. So again, going back to that economy jobs concept, media and fake news, um, back following the Great Recession when Occupy took hold, um, there was you know the war on banks and elites and then later on the war on expertise and, and war on education. So these concepts of, of banks expertise like who knew you know who knows what who's the the source of truth who's the person to go to um that was becoming a thing and, and we're seeing now this kind of attack of the concept of education come out um in real time with banning of books and um going after things that really don't exist in curriculum like critical race theory um we're seeing that in real time play out right now and it's all polarizing. These are all, they become like wedge words. So you have to take one side or the other. There's no spectrum, mm. you know, like it's yeah. really forcing people to go white, black, rather than embrace the gray and embrace, you know, embrace complexity. It's something that just caught me that you said that's a really sobering thought is we tend to think of access to the internet as direct point to point access with all the information of the world. But what you're describing and which is true and I really hadn't considered is there is at least some sort of filter between your desire for information and who supplies it. There's some sort of gatekeeping involved and that makes me a little scared to think that somebody else's interests or worldview might dictate what kind of information that I receive back. And and that that's coming with Web 3.0 potentially. That, there's some discussion with that and I'm actually going to get into that here in a minute. Um, but yeah, Web, Web 2.0 gave us things like you know, Breitbart and more fringe things on the internet that are more bizarre, like YouTube, like Infowars. So, I mean, it, you you can look back to 2011, 2012 to start seeing how Web 2.0 really started delegitimizing, you know, social constructs and causing problems, but kind of laid the bedrock to where we are now. That's a little scary. This this is turning scarier than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I promise I will bring it home into a place where people have power to, to do things about okay, it. Okay, make me feel comfortable. And there's, there's, there's hope. Okay, good. Uh, one 
phrase that uh, I think I heard you say, which sounded very sci-fi, was uh, alternate socially constructed realities. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a Star Trek thing, but I'm going to let you explain to me why I'm very, very wrong on that. <laughs> yeah, so um, social constructionism is a process. Or it's a, actually a theory that is a process that examines the development of kind of constructed understandings, the way we make reality within the word, world, rather. Um, and it's shared within a culture and communities, and it forms the basis for reality and all of our belief systems that come with that. So, you know, think of like religion, laws, and the opposite of that, like deviance, what, what is deviant behavior? Um, all of this is kind of agreed upon in a reality that we create and becomes part of our society. Um, and it requires communities to, to make this happen. Like you can't have a constructed reality everyone agrees upon without multiple people involved. How does that work? Can you put that in, in an example format? Yep. Um, so this theory, it kind of centers on the notion that meanings are developed in coordination with other people rather than each individual. So individuals add up into a collective in a whole, um, and they talk. And let me give you an example of how this works. So one of, one of the, the hallmarks of social constructionism is something called symbolic interactionism. So think of this as like, as a child, you see some type of symbol or language, you establish meaning and you're a kid. So it may be something like religion or poverty or racism or anything. And, and you develop your belief system based upon your interactions with like your family, the larger community where you live. It's all built into something that is either accepted as part of the norm or rejected. So fast forward to when you grow up. Um, now you're an adult. You see these new things come out. Um, and in this web 2.0 world that we live, you've got these influencers out there. Um, and I'm not talking like necessarily Instagram, but you know, people that are on the media that you, you hear a lot about. Um, uh, and it could be any, I don't, I don't want to point to anyone specific, but they hold clout. And they introduce us to something new. And you think about that and, and it might resonate with you. Something that you believe in but don't know a lot about. And you start going down this rabbit hole of belief system and you kind of discover that it matches or you're kind of like-minded to what this person is. And then you've got that share button that Web 2.0 has. Mm -hmm. And that spreads that concept to other people where people then have that ability to say, okay, wow, does this match my mindset or my belief system? Let me share that too. You start getting this kind of exponential growth of these ideas that become part of the system that just cycles and processes around. And that's something that I've become aware of slowly. I don't know when, but when I was young, news meant here are the things that are going on. And now every time there's news, my first question is, where did it come from? What's the source? Because I know that the gatekeeping aspect you mentioned earlier is, is very real. And we sort of assign tags to all these different sources about what their belief system is before we understand what kind of information they're sharing with us. Yeah. And it, you know, this is part of confirmation bias. If, if you've ever heard of that, and if you haven't heard of that, I highly recommend you look it up. Um, but confirmation bias is basically says we agree to what we believe in, or we want to really believe in and accept that as truth because it fits our reality that we've created, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it often it ignores expertise or authority. It can, um, or it can lead you toward expertise or authority if that's part of your bias. So one thing that has happened over this last decade with Web 2.0 is that there has been a lot of spread of like common senseisms, like things that sound really good and sound really kind of truth-like, uh -huh. but they're not really true. 
like a, for example, like like after the Great Recession, there was a lot of talk about debt and managing debt, and yeah. a lot of people talking about, oh, we just need to manage our debt like a checkbook. Well, you don't do that. Like it, it's much more complicated than that. But yeah, America's weird with debt. <laughs> um, that was a big thing. That was a really big thing. Back to the social constructionism thing. That seems like a pretty inherent concept. At least has that been around for ever? I mean, how how old is that concept? I mean, it goes back to like the 1960s, actually. But um, we we're seeing like an explosion of this this stuff right now um, as a result of things that happened during the early part of Web 2.0. You said that you know you were talking about like that it was frightening that the guardians might be tagging something that might help you stay in your reality or go yeah. to another one, right? So um, refining my worldview instead of challenging it. Confirmation bias, like you mentioned. Yeah. Like I'm only getting the information that I agree with most of the time, regardless of whether yeah, how much more information is available on the subject. Yeah, so, I mean, technology has made it really easy for us to go down our rabbit hole because we are hand-fed our confirmation bias. Um, in 2011, Eli Pariser did this TED Talk talking about the filter bubble. And it was really about Google's algorithm at the time. Um, so for anyone who wants to learn a little bit more about the filter bubble, um, that's out there on the internet right now, and I highly recommend doing that. Um, but it, it basically goes through what Google did to create, you know, in a good, in, well-intended way, um, create a custom user experience that made it easy for you to get the access that you want. Uh, the downside of this is, like I said, your, your confirmation bias is now handed to you. And the search engine optimization for people who are writing about these different things made it very easy for this stuff to become suggested for you. Um, so you, you are basically hand-fed your own rabbit hole. With what you've been describing, Web 2.0 versus Web 1.0, I'm getting the general sense just from listening that that makes me uneasy, the direction we're headed in. And then you mentioned Web 3.0, um, which on a linear scale makes me think that that might be even worse or have a, a whole new set of challenges. So where are we going as a society in, in terms of this subject? Well, I mean, it, it, it's still yet to be determined, but um, what we're still seeing from Web 2.0 is a result of some things from Facebook too. It's not all Google. Um, I think with the recent allegations from Facebook a few months ago, um, where that expose, where the informer employee came out and put all those papers out. One was a piece where Facebook did their own internal testing from 2019 or 18. I can't remember which one, but it was called Carol's Journey to QAnon. Um, and it basically tracked Carol's movement. They created a fake persona, a fake avatar for uh, Carol Smith, um, who aligned, you know, she liked Fox News. She liked Trump, um, liked these series of things. And within 30 days, she was responding to groups getting invites from groups and different pages that were directly related to QAnon. Frightening and fascinating all at the same time. But this kind of the new thing that I think is funneling people to this concept of Web 3.0 is the delegitimization of the concept of big tech. Okay. You know, I think there's been a lot of talk about privacy. Um, people are concerned about how data is used. And this is ubiquitous across all, whatever your affiliations are toward this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That big tech privacy concern has been across the board. But what what's happening, and this is what happened to some of my own family members, is that the conspiracy groups and fringe groups are kind of moving off the grid. And they're going, but you know, kind of ironically, at the same time, they're ending up on different platforms like Getter and Gab. Um, and, and 
kind of the frightening thing, the one thing that concerns me a lot is that former QAnon believers are mingling with anti-government groups like white supremacist groups, you know, like on Gab, um, like Patriot Front, Sovereign Citizens. Um, so there's there's some things that are really concerning here with 3.0 because if you push them off away from the Guardians that are now trying to, you know, put a put a limit on this or at least put a warning sign mm-hmm. um, next to some of this information that's going out there you take these onto unmonitorable systems where it's locked down can't measure it can't look at it um and and you really can't get a pulse on what's really happening with my experience what i'm seeing in in terms of you know the subject we're talking about here is all these different elements are combining in this day and age to really create division um i think we're getting further and further away from finding common ground absolutely on, on anything and to me that's that's the detriment that's what's going on so i assume we're in agreement that we would like to find a way to get back to a more cohesive collaborative living experience amongst each other so what's everyone's personal responsibility knowing that all this is out there and and these are the reasons why it's happening how do people turn this around um you know i think one of the best ways to do it is being being aware that mocking or banning or shunning might not be the best course for it. It sounds good in theory, but that has an amplifying effect. You know, as we've seen, there, there are requests to ban or actual banning going on in two different fronts, you know, so banning the things that people don't like. And because we're so divided, that's happening along ideological lines. Um, so I don't know that that's the best way forward. <laughs> okay. Um, but really what we're trying to ask people to do is almost the impossible. So if we've got confirmation bias, we're trying to actually make them go through deconfirmation bias. And people are wired to get defensive when you try to tell them that their worldview is wrong, that their belief system is wrong. Um, they feel threatened, you know, and they shut down. Sure. So you've got to find that common ground to really make them feel that it's okay to have a conversation and it can't be judgmental. It can't be mocking. It's got to be, I understand your point of view. Tell me more, learn more about it, hear more about it and share points of view um, that are your own. But yeah, it's still very much a work in progress. And I don't think that everyone's having a lot of success. And it also, if, if you're, if you're just concerned that maybe another one six is coming up, um, which I think is something that could be a very real fear you can look for trends in language from other people that are saying these things yeah, because that can be a cue. Any specific like trigger words or things to be on the lookout for? Yeah, I mean, I think the you know the joke and going back to you know not being mocking, you know, not being that mocking person. Um, research is a key word. Like when people say, I'll, "I'll research my own thing," you know, you can follow that up with, "Okay, like where did you find it? Um, what is exactly or specifically that you've researched? What did you find? Tell me more about it." Um, and then be okay with pushing back a little bit on, you know, is that really an authority? One of the things that's happening now is people can't seem to agree on where authority lies on those subjects. So if people cite a source for their information, then the debate becomes whether that source is legitimate or not. So how do you find common ground there? I think that that that's that's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll be totally transparent here. Data is confusing to, to people, and we're confronted with it all the time especially now with COVID, we've got all of these numbers, all of these charts um, that we're just putting out immediately. And then we're asking the, the population to take a look at this and digest and create context based upon limited information, just numbers, graphs, lines, that kind of stuff. Um, that's difficult and it's confusing. So there's 
bound to be different meanings that are come out of these what seem to be like abstract drawings in some cases and that's tough but i think one of the things that is kind of underscoring all of this is that science is just getting misinterpreted it, it, it's science is a process like the method is literally a process you have to go through I, I do hear a lot of frustration about the concept of science and sometimes people use science mockingly you know in a way like well look at the science she um, blinded me with science <laughs> i mean it's supposed to be a process and that process is supposed to have this part that's you know falsifiability um that you know what, what's also called peer review yeah um you also have to if you're trying to prove that something exists well, from the scientific method you also have to prove that it doesn't exist without that interference so it like falsifiability you mentioned that one of the trigger words that we're talking about is research i think people have sort of taken it you know that concept is just so vague at this point research it almost has the connotation of it's intertwined with with the term opinion at this point. Research is just whatever you want it to be that led to a conclusion. Uh, yeah, I agree. And it bring it reminds me. Of, I had a professor in college who uh, said that you know the argument of everyone is entitled to his or her their their own opinion um, is totally false. People are entitled to the defense of their own opinion. Um, Ooh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, and and that's meant to encourage conversation about things and really talk about opinions and make them into more objective debatable things um and you know through the internet with confirmation bias you you really don't have to defend um it, because you're you're basically surrounding yourself with these created realities constructed realities where everyone has the same opinion as you yeah, you don't have to defend until yourself you don't anymore. yeah <laughs> you know until you don't and then until you take that out of the internet space into real space and again, that goes back to one six and, and what could happen in the future if we don't get this under control. So make me feel better about all this. So let I'm going to give you an example and you tell me what I should do so I can turn this delegitimization into legitimization. So I open up my Facebook feed and a family member has shared that the COVID pandemic is over. Right at this point, the numbers that I'm seeing don't quite agree with that. Where should I begin my journey to processing that information? And what should I do with it? Um, I, I think that depends on your family member. Um, and if that person is ready to be, I guess I would say, challenged. Because, again, going back to what I was talking about earlier, you're asking in some of these cases with, with COVID because it has become institutional. You know, it has become one of those wedge words where it's either exists or it doesn't exist you know i think there's a lot of anxiety and animosity in between but it's really pushed people to different points on a spectrum so i think that you'd have to figure out before you engage where does that family member lie are they somewhere in the middle where they're just kind of anxious and fatigued from it and start there first if that person is down a line where you know it's over or it doesn't exist your best point of action might be just to, to stay away for a little while um, and let time sort that thing out by itself. You want to sum up everything? Just give me a couple paragraphs about uh, not necessarily what we recap, but how do you feel about it? I feel like the, I, I feel that we have an opportunity to come together and look at how we educate Americans going, you know, children. Um, I think that we need to pay close attention to what's happening within education, um, limiting curriculum. I think that that's, that's a big focus. We can't have another generation coming out 
um, not knowing some of the things that are central to critical thinking, like recognizing who is an authority, going through that process. Um, that needs to be a thing. The internet has been around for a while. That gap in critical thinking um, back from high school, it didn't exist, you know? So they never had that education to say, okay, who's an authority, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's important to pay attention to what we do in the education front. I also think that it's important to be empathetic, um, to, to actually have conversations with people and talk to them about their feelings on things rather than being dismissive or shunning them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I also would be very cautious to say that we need to censor people or ban content. I think that that's a very perilous territory that, yeah, I, I'm going to focus on empathy. I think for sure we could use a lot of that and that'd be the first step, first tool we could put in our toolbox to really start bridging some of these gaps. Yep. And embracing complexity. Yeah. I guess the overarching thing of all of this is that there's so much polarization, this or that, um, complexity has been lost. There's no nuance. So embrace complexity and try to get everyone else to embrace complexity too. It's That's not why, yeah. that simple. There's more than two crayons in the crayon box. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Dan, thank you. This has been really enlightening. I think it's a really important subject. I think this is important and probably relevant to a lot of people. Um, hopefully you've taken away a couple things that you didn't know before and you have a couple tools that you can use to start you know, turning some things around or connecting with people on a much more amicable level. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Thank you again, Dan, for joining me as a guest on The Shindig. Thank you for having me. I appreciate yes, it. Absolutely. Everybody out there, stay safe. Love each other. Hug everybody. Just definitely. Yeah. Love each other. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you guys all have a great day. Yeah.